This podcast was brought to you by Budweiser, official beer of the FA Cup. Drink Budweiser sensibly and visit drinkaware.ie. Wasn't it? it wasn't a classic. Did you expect us to, Tony? Do you expect us to come here just to please you, the media? Because we don't come here to please you. We come here to win. And Gerard Stunning! What a strike! After beating three, four, five players, wonderful, wonderful fit to win any football match. Hello and welcome to the Balls at E FA Cup podcast. I'm Donnie Mahoney here from Balls at E. This podcast is brought to you by Budweiser and we are looking ahead uh, to this weekend's FA Cup final and looking back on the great stories of the FA Cup and uh, who has a better FA Cup final story than our next guest, Laurie Sanchez. He sat down with Mikey Trainer to discuss that famous 1988 FA Cup final between Liverpool and his crazy gang. So, Laurie Sanchez, thanks very much for having a chat to the Bullseye Football Show. Um, I should uh, point out that this podcast was brought to you by Budweiser, official beer of the FA Cup. Drink Budweiser responsibly and sensibly visit drinkaware.ie. I always do. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> it's a good start. Um, so, I'm talking to you today on a day when AFC Wimbledon are facing an FA Cup replay with the prospect of meeting Leeds United in the, uh, the next round. So, I thought I'd start just by asking you, how does it how does it feel uh, looking back at AFC Wimbledon and you know the trouble that they've been through and how how far they've come and now how successful they they're continuing to be as they go on is how does that feel especially now in the FA Cup a competition that's obviously very close to your heart yeah i mean it, it it's a strange one at AFC because i AFC was formed in 2002 i think yeah. um i'd finished playing by long before yeah, then sure. um and they i mean what i will say is the team i played for was a team that moved from um plough lane to to Selhurst Park and then ultimately was moved to Milton Keynes which caused the di- um, at that stage the fans then said we're not, not going to support it, you yeah. anymore we're going to start our own team and they went back to well they went to Kingston formed a team in the level level 9 of football and I've got it all the way up to level 3 mm-hmm. um, which is a tremendous achievement in fact a higher now than Milton, the Milton Keynes the team that moved to Milton Keynes yeah, to the new absolutely. stadium and everything so I've got to say that that probably after the original Wimbledon story that went from FA Amateur Cup to FA Cup final in 25 years, that is probably the second best yeah. story in football about how, what they've achieved. And they are now talking about moving back into the borough of Merton, into a new 20,000, 25,000 all-seater stadium. I think they've just got uh, planning permission agreed for that. Um, and when they do that, I'm sure the journey will continue to at least the championship, if not beyond. And should they ever get back to those heady heights of the top flight, then that will be the best story ever told in football because the fans um, you know people ask what are clubs is it the owners is it the ground absolutely at the end of the day it's the fans you know they, they, the ones that come and support it if they support you, your team they make a team and that those fans decided that um, we're not going to have this anymore we're going to take back ownership of our club and put their money where their mouth was and um, and did it and it's ironic because I played for a team or I managed a team called Wickham Wanderers which were the only cooperative team in England yeah and when push come to shove, they decided to take the money from um, someone else and give up the, give up their ownership of it because they didn't want to fund it. Yet Wimbledon went the other way and said, we want to fund our own team. And what they've achieved is unbelievable. 
Absolutely. I think that Wimbledon, or even just a t- and the fact that it's happening with another team called Wimbledon is, is just is remarkable. But for you, like I, I get a sense talking there, it must have been very strange because it's not the same club that, that, you, that you're a club legend at, but the fans would still... They still they, think of you. Well, they, they were the fans that stood on. I mean, yeah. what I say is the team I played for was the team at Wembley, is the team that ended up at Milton Keynes. Yeah. Or the um, the fans of the team are the ones that started AFC. Uh, now you have to decide what a, cl- what a what a what a club is. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard it described once that um, they that uh, my team or Wimbledon FC gave birth to two children one legitimate one right. legitimate and That's it was down to you to decide yeah, yeah, which right. one you want to decide one. was but um, you know the fans have great affection for all the players we're invited back all the time yeah. and I support them in everything they're doing um, but I did not play for them no. um, and it made, made it more complicated because the actual Milton Keynes Dons have actually given up what they call the patrimony which oh, is right. the fact <laughs> that they won the Southern League and the Isthmian League yeah. and They've given all that up, but they didn't give it back to Wim- AFC. They gave it back to Merton Council. Wow. So um, it, it's a very complicated story. The one thing, good thing that's come from it is that um, no longer can any team be moved in England. Yeah, that, absolutely. That won't something, be a, something that's ha- still happening like just last week in America. And it's yeah. the Fran- fans, franchise it's football or fran- it, isn't, it will not be allowed anymore in England. Yeah. Um, and and the, other, the other side of the story is AFC said, said there is a team called M- Milton Keynes Town who are in level nine of, and were in level nine of the football pyramid. Mm-hmm. And they said, if we could have done this, why couldn't you have done that with your team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they wanted to shortcut the circuit. The, and, and at the end of the day, they've been surpassed now by AFC. So credit to them. Fan, fantastic. And, and and I've been down there with my son and that and I watch games. And my son's come away from me saying, you know what? This is a really strange football club because everybody's involved. Whether yeah. they're selling a burger, selling a scarf, selling the tickets, they're all doing it for the benefit of the club. They're not doing it for outside caterers or yeah, for this or that. They're all contributing towards the club. And it is a tremendous feeling when you go down there, you know. Um, and as I say, it, you know, the ex-players, and we're always giving tremendous welcomes down there and we have tremendous affection on what they're doing. And hopefully, I was at Wembley when they got up this year. Yeah. Um, and hopefully when they move into the new stadium, we'll be invited and be able to take part in that. That'd be great. I think it's just that message that the fan centric and fan driven club is something that couldn't get lost in, in modern football so it is they're really setting an example and, and blazing the trail in the right way but what I, I, I'll ask you about that the final that you played in there the 1998 <laughs> FA Cup final um, lifetime ago yeah well it makes it well yeah, literally for me I think it was the year uh, the year before I was born but um, thank you yeah no, apologies <laughs> for that just throw that in there <laughs> but I mean it's the it's it's almost cliched that it's the dream that you you grow up in your back garden scoring the winning goal in an FA Cup final. I know I literally did that. But you You literally scored the winning goal in a cup final. In my back garden. Oh in your back garden. <laughs> I, had, I, 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 had I literally, I literally did that. Yeah, but it, that's what I was gonna ask you. Is that something that you, you um, literally Yeah, did I mean you do when you're a kid. People forget the FA Cup is is the oldest cup competition in the yeah. world. You know, when they wanted to decide what the best team was, they didn't form a league, they formed a cup. And they played the cup, and the team that won the cup was the best team. Yeah, um, you know they didn't decide right who's got the biggest stadium, who's got the most money, who pays the most wages. It was purely let's have a cup competition, the winners take it all. Um, so we've got to give, we've got to, we've got to remember that history. Remember that's what football, how it was originally formed. Um, as I say, you know, you did. It was a unique occasion. It was the last game of the season. It was the only game shown live on both channels. 
um, hundred thousand people, and you watched it from nine o'clock in the morning with all the build up and, and the crazy. Event, yeah. It's a knockouts and everything that went on with it, all the way through to the three o'clock, then the game, and then the you know to six seven o'clock at night you could watch it. It was a whole day, the FA Cup final day. Um, now that you know, there's been. It's not. It has been in situations where it hasn't been the last game of the season. Premier League have had fixtures yeah. on the same day. They've had fixtures the week after. Um, has tried to dilute it, and, and and the FA have got to take. The FA have got to get hold of the game because the FA is supposed to be the governing body of mm-hmm. football in the country. You know that's what their their job is. But they the the tail has, well, if you call the Premier League the tail, the tail has wagged the dog. And you know the fact that they had games on at the same time in the Premier League was yeah, ridiculous. I think so. Yeah. And then the, the fact that I think it's been changed again now that the FA Cup is now going to be the last game of the season, as it should be. It should yeah. be the, uh, you know, the ultimate game of the season for the centerpiece. Almost the centerpiece, there shouldn't yeah. be other games detracting away no. from it. Everybody wants to enjoy like a gr- big grand finale of the season, and that's what it should be. And and and, and it's de- it's definitely being downplayed by the Premier League because the Premier League want their competition. In fact, you. you if, if you were to listen to some people, football never started before 1992. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I see and someone scored. A th- t- who was it? The, the fullback at Chelsea scored two goals, and he was the first goal. It was only three people. Marcus Alonso, yeah, that scored two goals in a in a Premier League fixture. <laughs> they the never went back up. to the hundreds of years before exactly. football was played in that. And you know, there, there was, was Jamie, football before Jamie Vardy's records last year when he was doing it in consecutive yeah. games. It's like every week he broke a new record, and it's like, well, hang on, the old one hasn't been broken. The one that stood for 60, 70 years, whatever it was. Uh, that yeah. and that that makes you laugh. I mean, you can understand what the Premier League are trying to do. And to be fair to them, they have done it. They've made it the most watched league in yeah. the world, if not. And I wouldn't say. You know, heresy, heresy. It's the best league in the world, but it's definitely okay, the best yeah. marketed sure. league in the world. Absolutely. And um, you know, they do make you think football only starting in 1992. <laughs> but there was football before that, and and certainly the cup final is one of those competitions. And they've tried, as I say, I, I think there's been power struggles where they've tried to control it. But going back to '88, I mean, you know, yes, I grew up. Yes, you used to want to. You scored those goals, and it was a cut. And to actually be there and done it is. I remember talking to a journalist the week after and he said it it won't be remembered that much, you know, it wasn't a great <laughs> goal. It wasn't a particularly great final, you know. I've since then I think there's been about three documentaries on it. Yeah. Um a, a BT film on it. Um every year like Noddy Holder around the third time, fourth time, you know, I'm yeah. dragged out for some interview somewhere <laughs> around the world. So, you know, and it, it's defined my playing career. I played 17 years, but my career hangs on, scored the winning goal in a cup final. Yeah. And to be fair, you know... It's not a bad thing to... Well, I say <laughs> better, better players than me never there played in a cup final, and certainly a lot better players than me never scored the winning goal in a cup Absolutely. final. So to achieve that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with and what do you recall from the the day itself? Because um, it, it, it's it's got to be a huge day. You were just talking there about the the build up and the whole fanfare around the day of the FA Cup final. How did that day differ? I mean, obviously, it would have been your goal to make it as normal as possible so that you could perform to the best of your abilities. But it couldn't have been, could it? Um, okay, it started the week before. I mean, I I'm sat in the dressing room the week before, and I'm looking around the dressing room. I'm thinking, where's the rest of my teammates? Because three or four of the team. Um, suddenly had opted out of the last game of the season. I played because I love playing football. I mean, I, yeah. and, and I'm looking around thinking, why is he not playing? Why is he not playing? All these slight twinges. Of course, them being a bit cleverer than me, thought, I don't want to get injured because yeah. I've got the big game Risk next it, week. Yeah. Um, and they were guaranteed their places, um, as I was. But I played and I scored against Chelsea. Um, we then had a good week's training. Um, we trained actually the day before. Our training ground was about... 
three miles from the hotel and i remember coming out i was always last out of training because i like to have a soak and i like to have a think about it i was getting older um and i came out and i've got in my car and i've looked at my tires and they're all let down aren't they so the day <laughs> for the cup final even then someone's let down all my tires so oh i've got God. to go and back into the thing i've got to get find someone who's got a pump get the tires pumped up and i'm thinking i've got a cup final tomorrow i shouldn't be having to deal with this at this stage of my you know this stage but that's the type of club it was um the night before we had uh you know we we'd had our pre-match meal um or our, our evening meal and it was seven o'clock and it was a lovely night and we we're at loose end we're saying this lovely hotel the canazaras which is just over wimbledon common and myself and Bess, Dave Bess and the captain, we went to Bobby Gordon and said, can we, can we, do you mind if we go down the pub and just have a, have a walk down the pub and, you know, not drink, just have a wander down there? And he said, yeah, yeah, take the team, take the team, take everybody with you. And he gave, I think he gave Bess 50 quid or so. We wandered down and we had a drink in the local pub. Ironically, it was the local pub where they used to change when they used to play on the common all those years the original Wimbledon team. Yeah, because wow. they used to play on the common and, and there was a woman lived a road a street up whose dad played in one of the team that played on the common wow. and they dragged her down and she must have been in her 80s and she introduced <laughs> us to us and it was quite, it, it, was a, it was a nice connection, you know, not accidental if you want, yeah. with, the old, with the old Wimbledon team that actually played on the common. Um, and we, we stayed and had a chat with the locals, um, killed a couple of hours, you know, took a bit of the yeah. tension off, wandered back to the hotel and got a good night's sleep. And and um, I think in hindsight, that was, that was an important loosener, if you want, for for the... Um, I mean, you read some stories that players were, you know, were, had this and that. But, I mean, if anybody had a half a lager, that was about it. You know? Right, yeah. Um, nobody was... It was, no, just it was more the most important game of their life. Nobody was going to Absolutely, abuse it at yeah. all, you know. And, um, yeah, just more so about unwinding. Yeah, and, and it was. It, it, it was great. To, to, the locals couldn't believe they were in there talking to them. Yeah. And, as I say, and the old lady was was pleased as punch. And we were pleased to meet her, to be honest. Brilliant. Won the back and um, prepared for the night, the, the game the following day. And... Something interesting that I've heard you say before is that there was a moment in the tunnel as you were getting ready to go out on, into Wembley, that iconic walkout. It was a Vinnie Jones. He, he, starts, <laughs> yeah, Vinnie, he Vinnie, starts piping Vinnie was up. into his westerns at that time, and he, Vinnie's a quiet lad, as you'll probably heard. Yeah, sure. Um, and he, 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 had, he had suddenly, for some reason, starting this thing in training, the Yidaho, you know, like the Cowboys yeah. used to go, Yidaho, <laughs> when they were going into battle or fight the Indians and that. And he used to be, it started that season with a silly call, you know, Yidaho. Anyway, we're sat in the tunnel. And the, the thing is, we don't realise is there's a, there's a timetable um, for going out. You've yeah. got to be hit this spot by here, hit this spot by here. Uh, uh, Princess Di was presenting the trophy, we had to be out. Wow. So there's a, and to hit those spots, you're dragged out of the dressing room and you're stood there waiting because they're you know yeah and we stood in the stood there and almost like fighters getting ready for like yeah a we, we stood yeah. one side of the tunnel liverpool stood the other side of the tunnel and obviously one or two of the players knew each other but there was no real contact going and all of a sudden um finney started you know probably to break the tension but it started is is yidaho <laughs> and um that one or two other players took it up you know his, his acolytes are probably wisey and and uh fash and it was a, it loosened the tension, if you want. And the thing was, Liverpool just stood, stayed there, no eye contact. They just, they just, you know, had the footballs in their hand and they kept bouncing. But there was no eye contact, no comeback. We thought, you know what? They're a little bit. I mean, I certainly did. I thought they're a little bit, not scared, but they're a little Tense bit apprehensive almost, yeah. because this was at that time probably 
one of the best teams in Europe. But for the fact of the five-year ban after Heisel, yeah. that team might have won another couple of European Cups because they were so good. They'd won the league by a mile. I think the last game of the season, they'd won 5-0 or something, beating Sheffield Wednesday 5. Yeah. John Barnes was player of the year. Biz, he was in the team. Aldridge. You know, they, they, Hanson, they had a team of... Fantastic team. And um, we th- they were so odds on. I think we were 4-1 to one against that yeah. in a two-man contest and they everybody assumed they'd do the double won the league not silly Wimbledon out of the, knock them out in the final and that would be it do the double and I think they suddenly realised that we weren't scared of them and they were I wouldn't say they were scared but that it caused that not apprehension I mean I don't know what it caused you'd have to ask the Liverpool players but I think they thought this is a team that we're going to fight for every and remember we were the last I think we were it was only our second season in the top flight and the first season of the top flight, we'd beaten Liverpool at home. Yeah. And I think we were the last team in the league to actually win at Anfield. So we weren't scared of them by any, by any chance. And that year, it was, was it seventh you finished in the league that year? Um, I think we finished eighth. We finished sixth the first year. We yeah. finished eighth that year and finished seventh the year after. It's still, it seems crazy that it was is remembered um, as such an upset when, you know... The, the, well, this it, is a great it, thing. That, that's the thing. It yeah. wasn't that big an upset. Yeah. I mean, um, I think when Wigan won the cup and they were relegated yeah that was probably a bigger upset absolutely we were not just a solid I mean we'd come up in our first year and finished sixth we'd have qualified for Europe the previous year but for the high school band yeah. we'd have qualified for UEFA Cup um, and then we get to the cup final and we're eighth in the table so we've had two years up there and we're not out of the top ten um, so we we you know and to do that you've got to beat all the teams we've beaten Man United we've beaten Liverpool we've beaten Arsenal we've beaten Chelsea we've beaten Tottenham you know we've beaten all yeah, these teams absolutely. not just at our place but away as well so we weren't scared of of of, um, of Liverpool even good as they were and I think luckily that gets lost in translation how good yeah. we were because it was only afterwards when Dave Besant went for about half a million quid which was the most expensive goalkeeper in the world and then John Scales goes to Liverpool for four and a half million quid and Terry Feeling goes to Man City for two and a half million quid that these are all world um, record prices for players yeah. it's only after the cup final that people really saw what a good team we were absolutely and the goal then um, 37 minutes into the game roughly that's, exactly, <laughs> that, that way yeah that's that's a long time to defend a 1-0 lead in a cup final against that Liverpool team. Mentally, when you score that goal, obviously you've got the high of, of realising you've just scored an FA Cup final at Wembley. Um, even if that journalist said that the goal <laughs> wouldn't be remembered because yeah. it was a glancing header and not a 40-yard volley, I don't think that comes into it when the final result is 1-0. But mentally, how hard was it to kind of just keep yourself from letting your emotions get in the better of you with <sighs> the guts of an hour still to play in the match? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think... Um Obviously, we were a very big team. Um, and in Dennis Wise, we had a technician that was top draw, um, as he went on late to play with Chelsea. Um, so we were always, that was always one of our strengths. And I'd actually scored the week before from a similar free kick, not glance, but in the other corner, um, against Chelsea. So, you know, I don't know who was doing Liverpool scouting work, but they obviously, yeah. you know, the marking was, was poor. Um but um, yeah, having scored in the 37th minute, luckily you didn't come to half time quite quickly. We get into half time and, and it was a really warm day. That I think it was about 100 degrees pitch side that day. It was the warm, yeah. warmest day of the year. Um, and uh, we've come in and, and Don Al quite cleverly has uh, sent in the physio and the kit man with, um, to go and get 
loads of ice in the bath and stick the towels in the bath so we've got all these towels around our heads just to try and keep lower our body temperatures and um don and bobby are giving their talk and what we've got to do this that, and the other and i'm i'm got my head in my town i'm looking up and all you see is all these players with just towels around their heads okay. and i think is anybody listening to any of this <laughs> but um yeah it it it, it was I th- I, it, at the time you, you don't think like we're holding on you think you know we're in a game we'll get another one maybe make it 2-0 as the game wore on and after Dave's I think when Dave saved the penalty which wasn't a penalty by the way yeah. I mean it's, it, Clive Goodyear <laughs> quite clearly gets the ball um, I think Ray Houghton goes over him doesn't he and, and claims yeah. the penalty and um, <laughs> after Dave saves that I think that was pretty much the turning point in that I think the Liverpool team realised this isn't going to be our day this is their, yeah, it's their day and we realised this is our day and I think from that moment onwards, I don't think there was really a serious effort at goal um, after that. And I, I, so I think the, the the penalty incident was probably a turning point in our favour. But um, yeah, we we ran it down, we ran it down, we we kept going. And the thing I remember more than most is, well, if they're not going to score another goal, let's make sure we don't score another goal because don't be sharing a two 0 victory with someone else. Okay, <laughs> selfish as that sounds. <laughs> well, but, um, you know, in the last five minutes or so, I'm thinking, yeah, th- that one will do us. We can hold on to that. <laughs> yeah. And Let's then the limelight. And then all <laughs> they blow the whistle and it's done. And and like everything, it's like people that have been in, you know, any people. People said, "What was it like?" But at the time, when you're in the middle of a tornado. You, it's very still where you are. Mm-hmm. You just do it and you live it, and it's it's only when you come out of it afterwards and you see all the stuff that was going round round it that you realise that it was a tornado at the time. But it was just part of our natural thing. I mean, I remember we went up, got the trophy off uh, Princess Di. We did our lap of honour. Um, by the time we went to do the lap of honour, of course, ninety five percent of the fans had left because they were all <laughs> Liverpool fans. So we yeah. did our lap of honour for about five thousand fans. <laughs> Um, 5,000 of our fans yeah. the Liverpool fans weren't having it they're not going to stay here and, and, and collapse <laughs> then we got back to the dressing room and I said to Bess we'll have to go and get shirts swap shirts so we went back to the Liverpool dressing room they'd gone they'd left oh, the stadium yeah. by the time we got back um, so we never got a shirt either um, <laughs> in fact the pre the, the following season uh, I was captain because Bess had left by then Dave Besson had gone to Newcastle yeah. and we played in the Charity Shield against Liverpool mm-hmm. Um, and I've said to Kenny Dalglish, look, can, can we swap shirts after the game because uh, we didn't get a chance Ding after it, the yeah. previous game? And he said, Laurie, I'd love to, but believe it or not, and this is the days, so you're talking the 80s, what happened now? He said, this is the only set of shirts we've got. At Liverpool? Yeah, and we need them <laughs> for next week because the suppliers, like in those days, suppliers were, you know, it was a nightmare beginning yeah. of the season supplying the new kit. So these are the only kit we've got and we need it for next week. Wow. But when you come up to Liverpool, we swap shirts then. Of course, by the time you go to Liverpool, it's all forgotten, yeah, it's all yeah, done. Yeah, players have left and nobody's really interested anymore. So, no, I don't have, I don't have a Liverpool shirt from, from that game either. That's a shame. That's crazy. And now you see players swapping shirts at half-time. And oh, they've, got, well, yeah. they've got a new one to come out in the yeah, second half. I mean, it, the kit supplies in those days were a little bit more ramshackled yeah. than they are today. <laughs> Not as big an, an industry as it is now. But you said there, Dave Besson making that save from the penalty. It's kind of like the moment where everybody, Liverpool and yourselves, kind of realised this is our day. Was there a moment along that run where you thought maybe this isn't going to happen for us because you had some close games, some two ones. I think was it Mansfield? You had a tight Mansfield. We were lo- we were losing, I think, weren't we? Yeah. Um, and then Terry Phelan, out of nowhere, scores. If not the winner, certainly the equaliser. We're, we're struggling like mad at Mansfield. It's a boggy pitch. 
and we look as though we're going out. And Terry Phelan scores probably his only goal he ever scored for Wimbledon <laughs> and gets us through that one. Um, and it, it, it's 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 rounds like that early on that you you know when nobody's really watching mm-hmm. that um, once it got to the semi final quarter finals we felt we were good enough to to go, to go all the way um, when we got when uh, Liverpool drew Nottingham Forest I think it was in the other semi final um, you know which was sold out about three times over then we ended up playing Luton at White Hart Lane when. I think we had 26,000 when it held about 36,000. So you could have bought a ticket on the day yeah. to come in. It showed that, you know, we thought, well, this could be our, this is the team we want to beat. Um, they weren't an easy team to beat because they got to the League Cup final, the Simod Cup final that year, and I think the semi-final. But um, having knocked them out of the way, yeah, we we thought, you know, it could be our, could be our, could be our year. Right, and you mentioned Terry Phelan there scoring a screamer. Um, he played 42 times for Ireland that's how uh, most of our, our listeners will, will remember his yeah. career as, as a really good servant for Ireland um, But we, and you said he, he earned himself a £2.5 million move to Man City which was yeah. big money at the time what was he like as a teammate as someone to have in the dressing room I remember he came from Swansea I remember his first pre-season he was brash nervous if you want because he, he, he came with quite a big yeah. fee for, for us then and sure. he came from Swansea and, and he was uh, he, he was he, he tried to be um, I'm he tried to cover his nervousness with the, the brashness. Okay. But once you got to know him, he was a lovely guy, Terry. I mean, I, I really liked him. Um, great left back. Um, could run him, Dennis Wise, um, and Ian Holloway when we were at the club. We used to do cross countries in those days. Wow. When cross countries are part of training, and <laughs> used to just wave goodbye to him. And Keith Curl yeah. used to wave goodbye, and they used to, and they they were they, they could have been athletes, you know. I mean, they, they had no nothing, no weight on them, yeah. and they just went. Um, I remember Peter with one pre-season took us out because Peter with was quite a fit lad when he took over at Wimbledon after um, I think it was after Ray Arford or Bobby Gould Ray Arford I think and um, he wanted to show how fit he was so on a pre-season trip to Spain he decided to take, take the legs out jogging on a cross country <laughs> okay. and he set the pace and he and um because he was a good runner, Peter, you know, obviously, and he was still in good nick at that time. And um, I remember Keith Curl, Terry Phelan, and Dennis Wise. Perhaps Dennis had gone by then, but they um, just stayed on his shoulder the whole way talking to him. And around about a mile left, they said, "Sorry, Peter, we've got to go now." <laughs> and left him. For dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, he, he was a great lad, Terry. I mean, um, as I say, was the most expensive left back in the world at one stage. Yeah. And I think he's in India at this moment in time, isn't he? I, mean, I know he was at the Kerala Blasters. He was managing he was, them. I'm not sure if he's still he was doing, doing the youth that. team there, wasn't he? Yeah, and now he, I think he's a pundit um, for for. A, is it, I'm not sure if it's BN Sports or something. But I think he he start he was part of if he didn't start a really good run of uh, Irish fullbacks. We had some really really strong yeah. Irish fullbacks, and Phelan was was for sure one of them. Um, another teammate of yours who obviously everybody knows now because he's gone on to become a Hollywood megastar, is, is Vinnie Jones. And you've given... Is that where he is? I wondered where he was. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Well, straight you don't, to, straight you don't to hear video. Not much from Vinnie Jones. Straight, straight to video, is he? <laughs> yeah. But um, you gave just a little insight to what it was kind of like in the tunnel. How, how, how big was he for a team, especially on a cup run, to have a character like that in, uh, in the dressing room? It's a, it, you know, I look back on... When you look back on life, and I say this to my son, and I say this to the teammates, or when I was manager, I say to people... The belief is a m- massive thing in yourself because Vinny, with the greatest respect to his playing ability, I mean, he was an okay first division player, average first division player, um, but had a great career for it. Played for Leeds at the top flight, played for Chelsea, obviously played for us and won the cup, played yeah. for Sheffield United, 
made a good career. Moved for best part of eight nine million quid. Um, and when he's a, when he's appearing in a film with Robert De Niro or <laughs> Nicolas Cage, he believes that he's as good as them in a movie. Yeah. And I think he someone uh, someone told me he's made over fifty movies, which wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. You know, all right. There's a lot of them are. You know, straight to video, but he's appeared in some big films. Gone in sixty seconds. Yeah, he's appeared Lockstock. in the X Men. Unbelievable. Lockstock was probably his best film, to be yeah. fair. Um, but I remember the story. We were training, and he was saying, oh, "I've got to miss training tomorrow. I'm doing a little film. Doing a little film." And I said, Shut up, Vinny. And um, or he was late for training. He's going, "Oh yeah, I've just been a little film." And the little film was Lockstock. Oh wow. Um, and um, I think, as I understand it, the story was that. <clears throat> One of the blokes is, I think, he's a celebrity Big Brother now. Um, was in the movie Lockstock. I'm not. I'm not up to date on celebrity. And they were, they were two Palace fans, and okay. um, they uh, they obviously got talking to Vinny because they were in the director's box, and I think they said to Guy Ritchie, you know, do you want to put Vinny in the movie? Yeah. Give him a few lines. And I said, oh, well, you know, it's a small small budget movie. You know, Vinny's quite a big name. It might break. So they said, yeah, yeah, brought him down, gave him a few lines. Or, did a few scene, did a scene, liked what he saw, gave him a few more lines than was originally cut. Wow. Took some of their lines off him, so they weren't <laughs> happy. But they, they, he stole uh, them. He stole their lines, and <laughs> this little movie was, you know, to be fair, Vinny played Vinny, and you know that's what good movie stars do. And from there, as I say, he's mixed with the likes of De Niro and um, Nicolas Cage and Pacino. You know, he's mixed with them all. Um, so, but the one thing, as it's at the point I say to my players and players that like, He's belief in himself is unbelievable. He has unbelievable belief in himself, and it shows you how far that can take you yeah. in any walk of life. You haven't necessarily got to be good at things, but if you believe you are and you've got enough front to to front it out, fake it till you make it. Well, <laughs> for, yeah, for, for, he's not. I wouldn't say he faked it because he could play football. I mean, we did say his longest pass was his throw, or his, best, <laughs> his most accurate pass was his throw. But he had talents. Definitely yeah. had talents on the football pitch. I mean, the Gascoigne incident, you know, made him if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, I was walking through British Home Stores the other day, or not British Home Stores, um, Debenhams, and they make posters of that. Yeah, and sell it in the shop. Yeah. Um, but you know, he he has made the most of the attributes that he's got. Um, and, you know, he's living a multi-million pound lifestyle in LA. You know, good luck to the lad. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, just back to the Liverpool team that you played against, you touched earlier on Ray Houghton um, playing for a penalty, let's say. Yeah. Um, but he was he's another guy who Irish fans obviously remember incredibly fondly, coming up with a couple of gigantic goals in particular, but also for just a really good Ireland career. How was he to play against? And that Liverpool team, you've already said that you weren't afraid of them, but they still there still must have been a part that's like this is a good team. Well, I think John Barnes was Player of the Year that year. Yeah, um, Beardsley was a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, I I think he most probably most underrated player, although he's highly rated, but still underrated for what he had, what he did in that little position in behind the forward. I mean. Um, define the number ten role really. Yeah. You know that modern players play. He defined it. He, he was he was excellent. You know, um, Aldridge, of course, missed the penalty. Yeah, first penalty missed <laughs> in the cup final, or first penalty saved in the cup final. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they had everything. Uh, you know, Grobbler. You know, was a, an eccentric goalkeeper. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's that's one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know that they had they had they had ability. All, all, the, all through that, through that team. I mean, McMahon, Mulby in the middle of the field. Yeah. 
Um, you, I'm trying to think who, who came on for Mulby. Spackman, oh sorry, Spackman started. Mulby came on, didn't he? I think. Yeah, I think Mulby did come on. So, so you know, they 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 had ability. Houghton, Barnes, Beardsley, Aldrich. I mean, you just look at that team. It, Hanson, um, Gillespie, they they were phenomenal. And um, as I say, but for the European band, probably would have won another couple of, couple of European cups. Um, we did a lot of work on on um, you know keeping the ball away from Hanson because he was obviously their ball playing to stop him having the ball as much as possible because they like to play out from the back. Um, we did a bit of work on that in training. Um, whether that worked or not, well, yeah. he certainly didn't get as much of the ball as he as he usually did because he was the playmaker from the back in those days. Obviously, me and Vinny um, were, were set to stop McMahon and uh, Spackman, which um, I think we did in that game. Yeah, and the the one chance they did get, um, I think Beardsley put the ball in the back of the net, or Barnes put the ball in the back of the net. I can't remember which Beardsley, I think, wasn't it? But it was offside because we mm. we played a very high line on them as well. So all those things came together, but. We were we were quite a tactically astute team, you know. Don Howe coached us. We weren't we weren't a bunch of mugs, you know. Don yeah. Howe was the England man, England coach at the time, so you know we were getting the best coaching going. And you um, you mentioned that they perhaps didn't do their homework on set pieces. Was was there anything in particular you guys had drilled into you to expect from from that Liverpool team on the day? Well, we knew, as I say, possession would. Stopping their possession from the back was one of the major ones. Stopping Hanson having the ball and setting up play was one of the major ones. But we also knew that for us, um, our strengths, which were set plays, which were getting the ball um, to John Fashionu early, would would play against what Liverpool like to do. Okay. I mean, um, and I, I, to be honest, I think I think the following year Palace beat Liverpool, didn't they, in the um, semi final final of the cup semi final, wasn't it? I think Palace, but I think once we exploited Liverpool's poor, or not poor defending, but their inability to defend at set plays, I think other teams, Palace exploited it the following yeah. year. And I think... Um, set the blueprint. Set the blueprint for what ultimately ended up as, not quite straight away, but the demise of Liverpool. Because if you'd have said, when they won the cup in 1990, I think it was last time, not the league in 19, they won the league the following year, I think, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Or the cup the following year, and certainly won the league in 1990. If you'd have said that was the last time they'd win the win the top flight, yeah. you could have probably got five thousand to one on that. Then, if you said you're not going to win that for another 25 years, unthinkable. You could have got five thousand to one because when I was brought brought up, I mean, you know, you live in the time of United, Arsenal, and Chelsea to a certain extent. When I was brought up, Liverpool won the league every other year. Yeah, I mean, I think they won it six or seven times in the eight, in in the 80s. If you'd have said that was going to be it, and they aren't going to win it, what? 20, how many years of the Premier yeah. League? Twenty. Five years of the Premier it's crazy. League, you'd have said not a chance in hell. They'll certainly win it. Amazing, absolutely. So, um, so I was going to say we have a we were the beginning of their downfall. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. All your Liverpool fans out there, it's, it's, it certainly does point towards it. Um, so obviously, I mean, there's it, it, there's no point in even asking what your favourite FA Cup memory is to a guy who scored the winning goal in the final. So what I'll ask you is, have you got a FA Cup memory that stands out in your mind that doesn't involve you or a team that you played in? Um. I think probably Southampton, I think. I, I still think the Southampton victory was was up. I mean, people, it, it, like all things, it's forgotten as time goes on, as generations pass on. You know, my, my memory is Southampton. I was actually at Southampton as a schoolboy that year. Um, and uh, the one thing I remember from that cup, I used to go down training and, and they got to the cup final and we were given um, 
one ticket each for the cup final if you wanted it. Of course, one ticket was no good to me because. So I remember next the bloke next to me said, "Do you want your ticket?" I said, "No, no, so I, I don't need it. You know, I've got if I could got yeah. not two, I'm not going to go by myself." So he said, "Can I have it?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." So I gave it to him. He probably went outside and sold it for five times the face value of it. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I am a pump country bumpkin coming here and getting done by that. <laughs> yeah. And then they go on and win the cup, which is a fantastic team. We're a club for Southampton size to do that. So uh, people say about uh, us being the ultimate, um, you know, cup legend. I, I think that, that Southampton victory must go down on that as well. Absolutely. Bobby and something, Stokes. another thing that we ask a lot of the people we have on our uh, podcast is, can you and we're putting you on the spot a little bit here, but can you think back to your playing career and maybe pick out two teammates that you would consider to be the best that you ever played with for whatever reason, whether it was skill or just... Um, I think Dennis Wise has got to go down there. Um, I think I think, <laughs> I think think Dennis ended up in cup finals at Chelsea about five more times. Yeah. Didn't he? And then he managed, ironically, Millwall getting to the cup final as well against oh, yeah, Man United, didn't he? Yeah. So that's a phenomenal... Uh, I think if you would... I think it's about four cup finals with Chelsea, one with us and one with Millwall as manager, mm. which is a phenomenal achievement. I think technically he's probably the best player that um, that I've played alongside. Um, and another one, what, another one from my team or another one from just... It could general? be any, any, any time you... Well, someone that you play with, whether it's international level or, um, or at club level. Um, I remember playing with Jimmy Quinn as well. Um who was the most languid of centre forwards you're ever likely to meet, but could score goals for fun. Yeah. And I think he set the record at Reading. He was joint manager of Reading when they got to the playoff final with um, a bloke called Mickey Goodin. And they were 2 0 up against Bolton. And they had a penalty. And it was missed. And Quinny didn't take it. He was playing, but he didn't take it. Um, Stuart Lovell, I think, was the player that took it. They would have gone 3 0 up against Bolton and been promoted to the Premier League. Quinny would have been player manager that year. Yeah. And um, they didn't do it, and that's my hometown team, Reading. <laughs> Bolton came on to beat him three-two in extra time, and Sam Allardyce then goes on to be ultimately England manager on the back of that. Um, so, it, it's, it's, so Quinny. I mean, I, I used to watch Quinny play a lot, and I played with him for Northern Ireland. He was a phenomenal goal scorer, um, unique goal scorer, to be fair. I'm a huge fan of that languid centre forward style. He's <laughs> one of those ones. Didn't really run. Yeah, but you hit him in the air, hit him in the body. He had a great, great techniques, both feet, phenomenal techniques. I think he scored forty odd goals one year, yeah. um, either for Reading or Bournemouth. Can't remember, but I mean, he, he was a phenomenal striker and finisher of a ball. All right, good answer. Um, and finally, just to leave it again, I'm going to put you on the spot. And it is very early in the competition, but is there a team that you feel has all the tools to go all the way this year in the FA Cup? Um. Well, again, you've got to look at the big ones, haven't you? It, it, it depends how, how importantly the big teams take it. They've kind of come... There's kind of the interest, the big team's interest in the FA Cup has kind of surged back up in recent years. It I, might have fallen off. Well, it was funny because I, I always thought it was funny. Uh, Arsenal's interest really, really improved once they couldn't win the league, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And all of a sudden, you know, to be fair... It's the same for Man United to agree. Last year, that FA Cup final was big for, winning, for the club. Winning two FA Cups has, um, has kept yeah. Wenger in a job. Absolutely. If you hadn't won those FA Cups... You were now what twelve years without a trophy. Mm-hmm. I don't think he might have survived this long, but so. But again, it'll go down to the big ones. Um, I think Man United will probably take it seriously because he likes to win a trophy. Yeah, he ain't going to win the league. Uh, might win the league cup, but 
the FA Cup is a way of, of putting your notch on a trophy. I think now that Man City have fallen off, that perhaps Pep will decide that, um, you know, that might be, that might solve one or two problems this year. Pressure on them and well. it, it is, uh, they look at it now thinking, well, are we going to win the league? We're not going to win the league. Right, what else we got left to play for? Um, for Man United, they've got nothing else to play for apart from the FA Cup, have they? Well, mm-hmm. for, I know the football, the football Europa League. League as well. You, you, they never end up <laughs> taking that too yeah, seriously, yeah. especially when the running for fourth place is going to be as intense as yeah. it is. No, I mean they they, they want to concentrate. They want to concentrate on that. And I say uh, Chelsea. Um, sorry, it's Chelsea. Have got no European yeah. interest. So for them, um, this is going to be, you know, one, it's nice to get a trophy under your belt early on, and if you can't win the league then the FA Cup is, um, you know, is, a, is a good second. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's, no, been, uh, it's been a great chat, and um, we'll throw it back to the guys in the studio.